Good morning. The scripture reading today is from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. So, today is Mike and Molly's last day with us for a good while, a couple of months. Uh, some of you know that. Uh, don't worry, they are coming back to us, uh, but they're going to take a little bit of time off. They're going to get a little rest. Uh, they're going to be doing some ministry over in Europe. And I just wanted to take this moment to say a big, big thanks uh, to Mike and Molly. Uh, you know, uh, during a transition like this, uh, a pastor like me doesn't always have the luxury of having the former pastor and his wife stay on staff, right? And so Mike and Molly have stayed on staff for the last month and a half, and they're keeping the trains running. They're, they're arriving and leaving on time uh, because they're investing in the church, and they have invested so much into me and Debbie and we're just so grateful uh, for the love and the care that you've shown to us and to Lake Baldwin Church. So thank you so much, Mike. Well, I said that the, the trains keep on running, and uh, Mike and I didn't coordinate this morning, so he already took care of the intercessory prayer that I was planning on. And the people up here took care of introducing the Joshua series that's coming up next week, and so you should just know that next week is the kickoff for that series, and it's going to take us all the way through the fall. It's going to go past Advent and a little bit into the new year. So I hope maybe in your personal time, uh, you take the time to explore the book of Joshua and that you join us for this great series. Well, in 1993, Ducati, which is, some of you guys know Ducati as the famous, yeah, I saw one person right there. Uh, the famous Italian motorcycle manufacturer, they came out with probably their most popular and most successful model. That's right, the Monster 696. The Monster 696. And I saw my very first Monster many years ago. 
I was leaving a Panera one early morning, and I happened to be with a guy who was a biker. My good friend, he was a, he was a big biker. We stopped right in front of this thing, and my jaw hit the floor, and I said, what is that thing? And he began to tell me about its history, and we started oogling it, and we were looking at all its components. And if people were watching us, it probably was quite the scene because our, our jaws were on the floor and drool was running out everywhere. Uh, but you get the idea. It's an incredible machine, right? Uh, some of the women, though, not all, some of the women here are probably saying it's just a bunch of metal, right? Just a bunch of metal. But some of the women are probably thinking, this is pretty cool. But if not, if not, maybe imagine in your own mind something of beauty, something that captures your heart. Because when I saw this motorcycle, for several weeks afterwards, I started to research motorcycles. Now, I'm not a biker, but I started looking at motorcycles. I started looking at the specifications. I started picking out what color I would want. I started looking at a motorcycle gear and motorcycle classes, and I began to dream of myself on this bike, right? It had captured my heart, its beauty, and what it could offer me, power, significance, approval. And isn't it interesting that we, as humans, we're drawn to worship things of beauty, Right? And I, for a period of time, I idolized this bike in my dreams and in my head. And so this morning, we're going to look at this idea of worship. We're going to look at worshiping the one who is most beautiful, the one who defines beauty itself. And as we unpack this passage, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the source of worship, the savior of worship, and the supremacy of of worship, the source, the Savior, and the supremacy. So let's just take a moment and ask for God's blessing on this time. Heavenly Father, there is none like you. You are most beautiful, you are most majestic, you are most splendid, and there is no other. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us that we have given our love to other things, lesser gods, Lord, we do thank you for the means of grace of your word. And we pray this morning your word would not return void, but it, you would bear tremendous fruit in our lives, making us more like your son. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, to get started, I wanted to do a few things uh, by orientation. The first thing is talk about what it is when we say worship. What is worship Mean That word, one of the senses of worship is to bow down. And when we bow down, we are bringing something else up. We're putting something else above us. Why? Because we value it. We value it and it's of more worth than us. And so we are devoted to it. We give it our affection. We give it our respect. So that's one of the ideas that's captured in the definition of worship. And I love the way John Frame puts it very simply. Worship is the work of acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord. And so there's two things I want to point out in this simple definition. First of all, that it's a work. And he gets this from another sense of the word that means to serve or to labor. 
And so the first thing that we can take away from this is that worship is something that we participate in, something that we engage in, and it's not a spectator sport. And then the second thing about this definition, he says, it's acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord. And so there are a couple things there to point out. He is pointing out something about our God, his greatness. His, it's an attribute, right? His greatness in his beauty, his greatness in his splendor, his greatness in his love. And then the second thing he's pointing out is this, these words, he's our covenant Lord. And that speaks to his work in making us his people, that we are in relationship with him because he has done a work and we know this work as the work of redemption, okay? So keep this definition in mind as we move forward. The second thing I wanted to bring to you this morning is a literary feature that you're going to see in Psalm 96. And what is that feature? It's the feature of repetition. Repetition for emphasis. We see in the Psalm the use of sing three times. The use of the word ascribe three times. Judge Three times, all the earth, four times, and then 11 times we hear the words, the Lord, the Lord. And the psalmist is doing this on purpose. He is trying to emphasize certain things for us. And so with that backdrop, let's jump into that very first point, the source of worship. And in our psalm, we see that the source of worship is all the earth. That includes all of us, everyone here and around the planet, but it also includes all of creation. And we're the source of worship in three ways, in our singing, in our witnessing, and in our ascribing. So I want to look at that very first point in our singing. As a loving community, we should be singing. He emphasizes this three times in verses one and two. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. A new song. We're to be singing a new song. One that is fresh. One whose words and maybe whose tune we haven't heard yet. Maybe it's even a new style. And I'm reminded of the Apostle John and the vision he has of worship in heaven. Because we know what, we've got a sense of what worship like is like here on earth. What is it like in heaven? Well, in Revelation chapter 5, John gives us a picture, a glimpse of what it's like to be around the throne of God, worshiping him. And in Revelation 5, this is what it says. They sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so we see in this psalm the encouragement to sing a new song. We see in the picture of heaven a new song being sung. So why should we be singing new songs? And I want to unpack it in this way. Think of who our Heavenly Father is. He is infinite means he has no beginning, he has no end. He cannot be contained, right? His power is infinite. His beauty is infinite. He lasts 
forever. And if we were to, to count his attributes and try to un- unpack just one of them, his beauty, it's infinite, right? And if we are in Christ this morning, here's the good news. We are going to live forever. So we have eternity in our future to do what? To sing new songs to this infinite God, right? The songwriting is never going to stop. The tune making is never going to stop. The invention of new instruments is never going to stop because we have all of eternity to do this. And I have hopes, you know, I love to play the guitar, and I've heard that it takes 10,000 hours to become a master. So someday in the, in the future, I'm going to be a master at the guitar, and I'm going to shred a new song for the Lord. Um, but we ought to be thinking that way. And so the challenge is for this generation For us here in Orlando, this place and this time to create new songs to the Lord so that he is made great. And so 100 years from now or 200 years from now or 2,000 years from now, when people look back on this huge catalog of songs written to the king, they're going to look at this generation and say what? We don't know yet. We hope they're going to say they used all of their God-given creativity, all the talent, all of the instruments to do what? To bring praise to the Lord, to bring praise to the Lord. So we are to be advancing the technology, if you will, of song and of music. Now, think about it this way. Moses, when he was erecting the tabernacle and he had his Levitical singers and musicians, you know, there's a guy beating on a out-of-tune drum, and they've got their little lyre and everything, he did not have access to the piano. He didn't have access to the pipe organ, right? And the, the hymn writers didn't have access to a number of instruments. But I'm sure if Moses saw the piano and heard Bach playing on the piano, he, you know, his mind would have been blown. And he would have said to his people, I want that. I want that to worship our God. Why? Because he is worth it. And so the question for you guys, is the king worth it? Is is the king worth it that we would create new songs to him, that this generation would cry out and use every bone of creativity that we have and create new songs to him? Or are we going to let secular music use all these great instruments to do what? Bring glory to themselves, to satisfy themselves. No, I say we should use all of this to bring glory to the king because he is worth it. And what about those old songs? What about those old songs? Well, now, if I just shift gears just a little bit so you can follow me, when it comes to popular music, um, I kind of gravitate to the 80s. I gravitate to the 80s. If you look on my phone, I've got from A to Z. I've got everything, rock, pop, you know, country music, funk, everything. But I always come back to the 80s. Why? Because I love it. I mean, I, am I the only 80s fan out there? I'm the only. Okay, so <laughs> I felt a little bit alone up here. Um, but yeah, but that's my preference. And I have to be careful of bringing a preference of style uh, to the, the music in the church. And so what is the reason we want to, to bring back these old songs? And it's this. Our faith is rooted in history. Our faith is rooted in the history of family, right? 
And so we, we realize that, that we're not alone here, and this generation is not alone. We didn't just pop out of space and time alone as an island. We are connected to a rich history of faith. That's why we bring forward the hymns. That's why we bring forward the creeds and the confessions. And realize this, what we are doing here today in worship stands upon the shoulders of our fathers, our giants in the faith, our forefathers in the faith. Now, I spent a number of years designing new technology and new products, and one of the things I realized when I was doing that is that I was doing that based upon the work of people who went before me, decades before me. I couldn't do my work if people didn't invent things for me beforehand. And even if you go back hundreds of years, there are scientific principles I used in order to create new products. And it's the same way in our faith. It's the same way in our music. We stand upon the shoulders of giants. So we want the best of the old and the best of the new, and we want to bring it together. And we should not ignore this command to sing a new song, to create new songs to the Lord. And so we are the source of worship in our singing. We're the source of worship in our witnessing as well. In verses 2 and 3, it says, Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. And that word, tell, is a little bit subdued in the ESV version that I'm reading in. In other versions, it's a little bit stronger. They use the word proclaim which is more accurate. The word in Hebrew is basar, and actually means to herald, to bring tidings of good news. And so we are to bring tidings. We're even to proclaim and preach his salvation. And so witnessing is actually a form of worship. Why? Because we're telling about the goodness of God. We're telling about his greatness, telling about the work that he's done in our lives. Now, how, have you ever had someone do something super extraordinary for you, right? Maybe they've, they've given you a gift that was way over the top, or they've served you or did something for you in a spectacular way, so much so that you were telling everyone else about it, right? This is the idea that I'm trying to communicate here. I know for me, there's an event that happened in my past um, back in January that um, caused me to think this way. Some of you know that I was in the hospital uh, for 11 days uh, fighting COVID uh, and spent months afterwards uh, recovering from it. And so you may be thinking, you may have thought that the uh, search process was taking a long time because we're very bureaucratic here at, at LBC. No, it, it was delayed. It was providentially delayed because I got COVID and I was in the hospital. And we were kind of at the midpoint in this process but something amazing happened uh, during this process for us. Uh, we were introduced to loving community here at Lake Baldwin Church through the search committee. Uh, they reached out to Debbie. They reached out to me. Uh, they were constantly trying to find out how they could pray for us. And I believe one day they even fasted and prayed for us. And um, when we found out how much they were loving and caring for us, and we felt that, we just couldn't stop telling our friends about it. Our friends knew we were in this process, and we were like, wow, we're, we're not even employed there. We're not members. They don't, you know, this thing is not a done deal. These people are showing us amazing, amazing love. 
And so, if you are in Christ this morning, you have been given an extraordinary gift by an extraordinary person. And so the question is, can you shut up about our great Lord? Or are you out there telling people about his goodness, his grace, and all of the great things he has done for you? That's what it means to witness to him. So worship always results in witnessing because we can't help to speak of our great God. And thirdly, we are the source of worship through our ascribing. We see this in verses 7 and 8. The psalmist makes the point to emphasize this three times. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. This word ascribe means to give credit or give due, recognizing that that person or that other entity, they possess something. Right? So what we are doing here, when we ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, we are saying you, O Lord, are the one who possesses glory and strength. You possess it fully and you possess it alone. And to give glory to God is in another way related to this word ascribe is to give an offering. And that's what our scripture is saying, to bring an offering into the courts. And it has this imagery, if you will, of bringing an offering to a king. Bringing an offering to a king. And why would we do that? Well, the king, he owns everything. And so we should bring a gift with us. We don't want to show up alone when we're coming before the king. And so in the New Testament, when we look through the lens of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And you see what Paul is doing here. He is connecting two things. He's connecting worship with sacrifice or offering, right? But it's not like what we see in the Old Testament where we're bringing the sacrifice of animals. No, the king of the universe desires so much more because he owns everything and he owns our very bodies. He owns the story of our very lives. And so what Paul is saying here is bring your life as an offering to God in worship. And why? Because everything belongs to the king. And so loving community should be the source of worship in three ways, in our singing, in our witnessing, and in our ascribing. So let's look at that second point, the savior of worship. And what I mean by that is the object of our worship is our Savior. Now, remember back in the beginning when I said the, the psalmist is using repetition for emphasis. Well, he uses the Lord 11 times, 11 times. He's trying to make a point. He's drawing our focus to what? The Lord. And when we see L-O-R-D in all capitals, if you're a student of the Bible, you know what that means. It means behind that word in the Hebrew is a name, and that name is Yahweh. And that name, what it means is it's a personal connection between God and his covenant people, okay? And so if you are in the loving community of God's people, it only makes sense that you would do homage, that you would bow down, that you would serve your covenant Lord, Yahweh. 
However, our worship has become distorted. Our worship has become dysfunctional. But we still worship things like beauty and strength and power. Just like in my example, I worship the Ducati monster. We do that, but not God's beauty, not God's strength, not God's power. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says what we are doing is we are trading the truth of God for a lie. Now, I spent this past week kind of doing some internet searches looking at the most famous people in the world, right? There's all these lists out there. And I was a little bit surprised about some of the people I saw on this list. For, for example, did you know that The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, one of the most famous people on the planet? I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, Elon Musk, of course, he's there. We know why. Uh, Kylie Jenner. Oprah Winfrey, all of these people have attributes that we worship. They have beauty. They have power. They have strength. But our scripture in verse 5 says that these are worthless idols. Why? Because they are of no value. Because beauty is going to fade. Wealth is not something that you're going to be able to take to the grave. And strength is going to fizzle out. And there is only one who possesses all of these attributes. And it is God. And so our worship becomes restored when the object of our worship moves from these idols to God our Savior moving from these idols, either from other people or these things that we want for ourselves, right? We want beauty. We want approval. We want strength. We want power. It's only found in God. And so we worship him for who he is and what he has done. Who he is and what he has done. His attributes and his work, right? He is the beautiful one. He's the powerful one. He's the glorious one. He is the one who created the heavens. All right, so when we think of things like the Grand Canyon or the Grand Tetons, if we, if we imagine and look at those pictures from deep into space and we see these marvelous galaxies, it should point to something greater and it should cause us to worship because he is the creator. He is the designer. He is the artist behind all of those things and he is even more spectacular. He is even more beautiful. He is even more expansive than all of those things. And so God is the center of our worship. He is actually the audience this morning, right? You guys are not the audience. It kind of looks like that. But you guys are not the audience. He is the audience. And you have to think this way. It's not about getting a good show when we come into worship. But it's about giving a good show to the king. And so when we leave worship, I know we are often tempted to think, you know, what did I get out of the service today? Um, and there's, there's, in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that because worship is also for us, but it is primarily for the king. We ought to be thinking, what did I give in worship this morning? Not what did I get. What did I give to the king in worship this morning? Because that's what it's all about. Well, let's look at this last point, the supremacy of worship. 
we see in verse 10 that it is the Lord who reigns. The Lord God, Yahweh, who reigns. It means he reigns over all of the earth. We've seen this in the passage. He's the one who created the heavens, so he reigns over the heavens. He reigns over all those galaxies that we see from the James Webb telescope. He reigns over the entire universe. Guess what? There's no one higher than the Lord. There's no one who reigns but him. And because he is supreme over all the earth and all of the universe, our supreme activity, our supreme purpose is to worship him. Now, John Piper, to paraphrase him, he says it like this. He says, worship is ultimate because God is ultimate. God is the ultimate thing in this universe. And so our ultimate thing is to worship him. Most of you guys are familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith and the catechisms there, right? The catechisms were designed to teach the faith uh, by a series of questions. And it's interesting that the very first question they ask is this, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what is your purpose? What were you designed to do? And you guys know the answer. Many of you do. What? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Okay, this is extremely profound. It's existential, right? And you may have come this morning and, and you're wondering, what, why am I here? What, what is my big purpose in life? And the confession in our scripture we're going to look at is telling us that the big why and the big reason for you is to worship God. You were created to worship him, not other gods, not other idols, not even yourself. You were created. You have this DNA within you to worship, right? But it has been distorted by the fall. And to be restored, you are to worship the God who created you. The Bible says it this way. So whatever you eat, or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so all of life, all of life is to be about worship. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a mom or a dad or a child or a student, whether you work at Starbucks or you're working at the zoo or you're in IT, you are to, in everything that you do, bring glory to God Right? And how do you do that? Because you do that by pointing to his greatness and not your own. Right? You do that by the way you speak. You do that by the way you do your work. Right? You're doing it unto the Lord with excellence. You do that by the way you interact with coworkers and neighbors. And this is the way that you can bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so what about loving community? Loving community is not a destination in itself. It's not a destination in itself. Even though we want things like genuine relationships, that's a good thing. We want to be serving together. We want to serve the city together. That's a good thing. Uh, we want to be on mission as Bruce has preached for us last week. We want to make disciples. That's a good thing. But these are all means to a greater end. There means to a greater end. And to quote Piper again, he says this, mission exists, why? Because worship doesn't. So the reason we're going to have loving community, the reason we're gonna do service, the reason we're gonna make disciples is so that there will be more worship, right? We're not content with the fact that our neighbors, 
and our coworkers, the people of Orlando, and people around the world, that there are many people who are not worshiping God and enjoying him forever. And so the ultimate destination for loving community is worship. Well, there's one more literary feature that we haven't touched on, and I want to close with this. Uh, it's the mention of that word judge. And, and the psalmist mentions it three times. And so how do we connect this to worship. Well, we see in verse 13 that it is the Lord, and remember, this is Yahweh, is coming to judge the world in righteousness. And if we're a student of the Bible, and if we're in Christ, we know what this means. We know who this is, actually, right? Who is it that has been given all authority in heaven and earth? Who is at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning? Who is it who is coming again to judge the world? It's nothing other than Christ. And so Christ is actually the fulfillment of Psalm 96. Christ is the Lord. Christ is Yahweh. Christ is God, right? It's one of the proofs of his deity. And so he is the one who manifests the beauty, the power, the splendor and the glory of God. He is the one in Revelation 5 to which all the people are singing this new song in heaven. He is the only one who brings an acceptable offering to God because he brings his perfect life to God as a sacrifice for our sins. And the good news this morning for us is that this coming judge, this coming king, He's also our Savior. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, oh, it is good to be here this morning with your people for the sole purpose of worshiping you, to tell of your greatness, to proclaim it, to declare it, that you are great to the ends of the earth. You reign over all and there is no other and you are good, and you are loving, and you are with your people. You will not leave us, nor will you forsake us. And we give you thanks and great praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.